You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. The consumer, despite this rampant inflation that's hitting all of us, whether at the gas pump or in the supermarket, the consumer's kind of hanging in there. You know, I mean, we had some retail sales today. Kind of came in a little bit better than expected. You look under the hood, there's definitely some concern there. But, you know, the headline number was pretty decent. I want to break it down with Angie Solanke, National Director of Retail Services in the United States for Collier's. Collier's is a publicly traded company. Uh, NASDAQ, CIGI is a ticker to put into your Bloomberg terminal. Angie, what'd you make of the um, August retail sales numbers? It was great to see that we had, even though it was a slight rise, that there is still confidence. Uh, spend is still occurring, but it's occurring more so where they're focused on value-oriented because there's still the inconsistency, right? There may be still a little bit of uh, concern as we see inflation still continuing to occur. But overall, there's still some confidence. I think retailers were pleasantly surprised. So... The headline number, Angie, was uh, a gain of three-tenths of 1%. And I'm wondering what that looks like when you adjust it for inflation, because these numbers are not adjusted for inflation, right? Correct, correct. Um, they definitely are not. I think that what we should look at is if we look at, you know, the last time we've seen inflation hit as, as um, high as it is right now this year, it was um, many, many moons ago. So... Yes, it's hurting us in terms of the pocketbook, but overall the drag that we're seeing is still isn't it's it's not as significant. People still understand that there's an increase that they need to be mindful, um, but they're still you know they still need to look at staple products, mm. uh, grocery spend. Um, what we're seeing from retailers right now though is this really interesting kind of uh, uh, juxtaposition in terms of they are starting to push out more private labeled brands. So they're they're pushing out their more their own brands mm, versus Kirkland. bringing in other oh, yeah. brands. It's good stuff. So Angie, yeah. it, it in it's September, but I know retailers they're thinking holiday season already. Um, what's the expectation when you talk to some of the retailers out there about how this holiday season may shape up? Well, there's still quite a bit of product and inventory out there. So, you know, the concern right now is how much discounting 
really is required. So retailers are preparing for that. Um, it's still going to be, a, you know, a fairly busy holiday season. If they start to discount the product uh, to lure, you know, the inflation-worried shopper in, um, that will start to show spend and increase in spend. But I think it's really more that there's, A, quite a bit of inventory, B, concerns still around discounting. You know, this is the first holiday season that we're seeing where consumers are going to most likely slow down due to the high inflation um, in many, many years. So we don't really have any learnings from this since it's been so long. Um, there's been talk about third-party sellers over at Amazon looking to potentially cut prices even further to move these, you know, this inventory that they're sitting on. So that will be interesting for us to watch. In terms of the gasoline component, we've seen prices at the pump come down. Paul checks the um, regular unleaded yep. gas average every day. Um, and, you know, the the sales figures, excluding gas, were up 0.8%. So um, pretty strong. Do you see people taking the savings, um, essentially, that they're getting from the drop in pump prices and, and putting it elsewhere? Yeah, actually, we're seeing, um, you know, roughly a... 1% rise in spend at restaurants and bars, and this was in the month of August. So even though food costs, have, you know, have been hit pretty hard, you know, there's still this, you know, need to go out, to be out, socialize. So it's a small percentage increase, but I think people are saying, hey, if I'm going to spend, you know, call it $150 for a meal for two people at home, groceries I have to buy, then I have to cook, and then I have to clean, why not just go out and have a little fun? So um, I think that uh, people are really thinking where should they spend their time, and if it's a cost versus time versus value, they're they're spending it in the restaurants, which is great for for definitely our, our restaurants and bars. Well, my household, I clean. I'm the cleaner guy. <laughs> I yeah. take care of it. Yeah, I love doing that. Just leave me alone in the kitchen glass of wine, I'll clean up all day long. So, Angie, talk to and us about- And you're going out and spending money at restaurants and bars. I am, absolutely, that, that, that's kind of my thing. Angie, um, for these retailers, can they, are they gonna have enough labor here for this holiday season? It just seems to be a persistent problem across many industries. Yes, that is the one worry, right? Um, because you're, it's a combination of just resources, human resources, people, um, but the second piece of this, right, is the the uh, the cost. So wages continue to be a concern for many retailers. Um, they continue to increase wages. Uh, so that's going to be really something that they're going to have to focus on as it relates to, okay, if we need to push product, we need to bring in volume of people, we want to increase our sales, we need people to, to have that movement. The other thing we're also seeing is technology, right? Yep. So technology continues to be a big play. I don't know if you read, like Starbucks is coming out with this, what they're calling their reinvention strategy oh to kind of offset some of that labor concern and labor issues. And so they're looking at automating more so over the next right. several years right. where you can just get your food and drink orders very yep. quickly and, and it cuts down on that employee labor right. shortage and right. or cost issue. Yep. All right, Angie, great, great stuff. As always, Angie Solanke, National Director of Retail Services for Collier's, uh, talking about retail sales came in a little bit better than expected for the month of August. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? 
You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get over, speaking of driving across this beautiful country, let's get over to Brent Schutte right now. He's a chief investment strategist at Northwestern Mutual. Uh, Brent, are you in Chicago? I'm in Milwaukee now. I was in Chicago earlier in my career, but I moved to the beautiful city of Milwaukee. Got it. Well, I just knew that you did your MBA at the University of Chicago. They do numbers there at University of Chicago. Highly respected by this program. Um, I'm glad to have you on because I have been having uh, discussions with uh, investors here in New York, and and yesterday we heard from Ray Dalio that he's on the bull, uh, bear side. He says if the Fed raises rates to four and a half percent or more, which it looks highly likely they'll do, stocks could fall twenty percent. On the other hand, um, David Rubenstein um, yesterday of Carlisle fame, who also has a television program here on Bloomberg uh, Television, said he thinks that professional investors are looking for bargains right now. This is when you should be buying. Um, do you side with one or the other? I think it comes down to your outlook on inflation. Uh, and certainly, uh, as I look at charts, graphs, and mosaics of forward-looking indicators of inflation, I find it very hard to see any reason why inflation is permanent or here to stay and why the Fed should actually raise rates above 4.5%. The only thing that you, people can point to is the actual backward-looking number itself. You're going to hear Chair Powell again talk about inflation being broad and being sticky. Let me take those two things apart really quickly to explain why I don't think either one of them is relevant. So the broad side, people look at the median or the trimmed mean PCE, and they're all elevated. The odd thing this time, reflecting the economy, is that the good side was at 12%. It's now coming down to 7.1% on a year-over-year basis. The services side is actually going up. And so, yes, the median is high, but this is really odd. They usually move in the same direction. They're moving in the opposite direction because goods was favored early, and now it's moving to services. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's going to resolve itself. That's one Number thing. What two, about the, the stickiness? Because rent the, yeah, has the, been a real thorn in the Fed's side, as well as you know my kid brother trying to find an apartment in New York. Sure. <laughs> I mean, sticky reflects housing, and, and, and housing, unfortunately, comes in with lag. Tell me who on Wall Street doesn't know that that owner's equivalent rent or that shelter has a 12 to 16-month lag, and where do you think home prices are going next? Take a look at housing demand. Look at the mortgage demand this week. It was down 29% year over year. The housing market has gone from boom to bust. And so as I look forward, I think inflation is still set to slow. The CPI data is backward-looking, and I, I have trouble finding anything other than the labor market right now, which tells me that inflation is going to be permanent. So given that backdrop, uh, 
Brent, have have we seen the lows in these equity markets? Do you think we'll retest that low back in, I guess, late June? I, I'm not for sure that we won't retest it. I mean, you just mentioned two uh, smart people having different outlooks, and that usually is a yep. tug of war until we resolve it on one side. I do think the bottom is in. I think if you look back to the 66 to 82 time period when inflation was the economic problem like it is today, so I don't ignore the recent time periods, but I look back to that one, when CPI peaked, the market bottomed. That's what happened in every one of those, 66, 70, 74, 80, and then Volcker did what Volcker did. Um, I don't think that's going to happen this time. Uh, but those times were when CPI peaked, the market bottomed. That's point number one. Two, sentiment is already awful. Uh, people have sold already. The AAI sentiment's been below 29 times this year. It only been below 38, uh, only been below that uh, 38 times in the prior you know, 30, 40 years. Each one of those times, except one, led to forward-looking positive returns. Uh, throwing a, a positive, uh, throwing the 50% retracement of lows that we had, which has a nearly perfect record uh, going back to 1926. And I think you have the basis for the market having put in the bottom. That doesn't mean it won't be a grinding back and forth advance, but I don't think we're going to go below those June 16th lows. All right. So with that outlook, Brent, if you have um, cash to put to work here, what do you do with it? Where do you put it? Do you like uh, equities? Um, have bonds taken a big enough beating? Are yields high enough? Do you like commodities? Is there still room to run there or are they rolling over? I mean, what do you do with money? Sure. And so this is where we've been uh, expressing our belief for the past year to two years that you need to invest in things that are cheap. Um, you need to invest in value, not the technology favorites of the past or the growth favorites of the past, or the hopes, dreams, and themes, hopes, dreams, dreams, themes, and meme stocks I talked about before. You need to invest across the board, I should say. But we do like, uh, on a marginal basis, value-type stocks in the S&P 500. We like the S&P 600, which is uh, the small-cap uh, area of the market, higher-quality small-cap. Um, and I do think bonds right now are, are going to, once again, hedge stocks. They certainly haven't this year. Uh, but I think at current yields right now, real yields, um, they do provide a hedge. And so I would, I would make sure that people um, don't, be, don't start selling your bonds right now like I think many people want to do. Uh, and so that's kind of where we're positioned. We still do own commodities, albeit we are underweight our normal benchmark. And by the way, that's a, that's a position that we have owned uh, historically. We weren't the people who believed that inflation was dead. Now it's here. And I'm kind of on the other side of that argument right now. I think that the, the inflation that we're having right now will come back because it is mostly related to what happened post-COVID. All right, Brent, you said you're in Milwaukee. Milwaukee is one of my favorite towns. Laverne and Shirley. It is. Oh, um, wow. It's a great town. Talk to, how is the market there? How is Milwaukee? Because I think, you know, how's the economy? How are people kind of feeling about things in general? Just kind of what's going on in Milwaukee? Real estate, what's the real estate look we're, like we're, there? Yeah. We're all feeling pretty good right now because the weather's still nice. Come visit me in a, a month or two months and people will be a little bit dour. <laughs> Um, in, in general, I think the Milwaukee economy is doing just fine. I mean, um, you know, certainly I think as you look around the country, people are, are doing good. I mean, the yeah. unemployment rate is low. The one big thing that sticks out that is the thing that we have to fix, and if you fix that thing, you fix the market, is inflation. And that's where I think there's good news because I do believe the Ford indicators point to lower inflation. Yeah, you know, um, somebody was telling me yesterday she didn't think we're going to come down to 4 or 5% by May, June of next year, and I reminded her of the comps. I mean, surely yes. for that reason, it would be insane if we were still over 5% after a 9.1% in June of this year. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, supply and demand. I mean, the Fed talks about that all the time. Demand has moderated. Um, uh, PCE is running, uh, PCE consumption is running 2.2% year over year. Um, it was running 6.5% bef uh, before the Fed started hiking. The housing market has slowed. Inventories have rebuilt. And so I, I do think it will begin to push back. I think the big risk 
is that the Federal Reserve doesn't feel they can have a forward outlook because they see, I assume, some of the things that many of us in the market see. The question that I have is, are they so haunted by what happened in 1970 and 1980 that they feel the need to keep on going because inflation right now is still high and there are lots of screaming about it? Um, Are they able to actually pause? Because I think they've accomplished in six months a lot already. I just think it hasn't completely shown up in the numbers. All right, Brent, great stuff. As always, appreciate getting some of your valuable time. Brent Schutte, Chief Investment Strategist, Northwestern Mutual, located in beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We're talking beer. I think they do that there. They do bratwurst. They do cheese. Uh, They get a lot of good money management. Institutional investor uh, money in Milwaukee, believe it or not, it punches way above its weight. Francis O joins us. Craft Technologies. I think they do artificial intelligence for investing. I, mean, I don't know. When I started on the block trading desk at Payne Weber in 86, every morning, my boss, Johnny Coughlin, would just run by and scream in my ear, buy them low, sell them high. That's all I had to do. But now you can use artificial intelligence. Francis, thanks so much for joining us here. Tell us what you guys are doing at Craft Technologies. Uh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, yeah, um, the, the buy low and sell high. Uh, we try to do something similar like that as well. So the craft technology, we are the artificial intelligence investment tech company. We're providing the services to asset management companies from the asset location signals to sec- uh, security selections. Uh, we, we provide a cater solution to our client. Uh, we're also the sponsor of the AI Enhanced ETF as well. So first of all, I want to point out that craft is not like the macaroni and cheese. It's spelled Q-R-A-F-T, Craft <laughs> Technologies. Yes, Q-R-A-F-T. And um, you said you have an AI ETF. So how does that work? It's an active ETF, and you use your algorithm to um, trade it? Yes, exactly. We are using the artificial intelligence, specifically the deep learning model, to uh, trying to predict relative strengths of the stocks among the universe. So we apply the uh, that technology into the actively managing the, uh, the ETF of uh, the world. So we're currently uh, the listing four ETFs in NISU right now. But, so hang on, you, you trade ETFs with your algorithm or you offer an ETF that's actively traded? Yes, later one. We offer an ETF. So what's the ticker? Is, uh, the ticker, uh, we have uh, the NBQ, um, the QLFT, AMOM, and HDIB. But the one of most performing Best-performing ETF this year is MDQ. Nice. All right, I go on ETF Go on my yep. Bloomberg, and um, it's pretty cool. You can put in Craft there, and uh, then it you can it find up. exactly yep. the family of Francis. Fun. How does how does your technology, the use of artificial intelligence, how does that, or how has it been doing this year when we've had a tremendous under, underperformance in both equities and fixed income, lots of volatility, the VIX pushing higher. How has your you know, process worked? Right. So the, we are utilizing a, the, the deep learning model, which is uh, training the AI model to replicate the well-trained human portfolio manager, their decision-making process, but without human emotional bias risk. So processing fundamental data, price data, and macro market data. So we, our model is trying to uh, the make a scores and the forecast relative performance of the stock among the universe. But the, the ETF that I mentioned, MVQ, the next value ETF, which is uh, uh, applying the, um, the AI way, uh, AI methodology into the, the value investment um, the world, um, that ETF actually performing fairly well this year. Uh, year to date, uh, as of today, MVQ is uh, 
uh, only 4%, uh, below the 4% losses, uh, which is almost 11% point of performance, even against the, the widely used MSCI USA Inans Value Index. Um, so, and even for the last one year period, MVP is even marked positive return, close to 2%. All right, I want to point out that is NVQ, as in uh, Victor, Nancy, Veronica. Okay. Um, what's Q in the military? Q. Craft. Craft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> NVQ. No, I, just, I was thinking in the military alphabet. If I had Greg Jarrett here, he would tell yeah. me right away. Uh, Q yeah. looks like Quebec. So it's actually uh, in the military alphabet, November, Victor, Quebec. Really? NVQ is the ticker. Okay. Very good. All right. So, Francis, what's kind of what are you guys as you look at the market here? What what's what are you thinking about here as you talk to your clients? Right. Um, the, the current market environment is definitely not so much favorable to investors at all. Like there, uh, there are a lot of risk um, that we haven't seen this year uh, from the the, uh, the heightened uh, inflated inflation environments, and then the Fed uh, the hike is also not favorable geopolitical risk and also be pretty much like a, the perfect storm um, is hitting the, the financial market right now. And if someone who still wants to have a position into equity market, I let her, I think about, I let her want to say, I think about the value investments um, could be the way to play for the next six to 12 months of time until the, the there is a clear trajectory of the Fed is uh, deciding to uh, any sign of the lowering uh, their um, the interest in um, the, the regime back to the, the, the normal area. So for now, um, the growth um, equity market, uh, it won't be so much favorable right. the first time. So the value, value is the, the way, to, way to play relatively safer than the other um, equity asset classes. All right, Francis, good stuff. We appreciate it. Francis O, CEO of Craft Technologies, uh, talking to us about the ETF. He uses artificial intelligence there in the investment process. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Where is Kevin I am so pumped for him. He's at the Detroit Auto Show. Um, for a number of reasons, this is awesome. He spends a lot of time in Detroit. I, I used to spend a ton of time in Detroit, and the Auto Show was typically in January, like the worst time <laughs> in the year to visit Detroit. But everybody went because it Kevin was like went. the Super Bowl of um, the automotive industry. Now they have it in a more reasonable season, but I don't think as many people are there. Well, the Ke CES show, I think, is an auto show with a couple of yes. computers around it. Yeah, that's what uh, the Toyota president was saying yesterday as well. Kevin, tell us first of all about what the auto show is like. I mean, 
there just wasn't the hype um, this year that there used to be, you know, pre-pandemic back in the day when Detroit was yep, all about it. it. Yep, it is very, very different. Um, I would say for the most part, full displays are only General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis. There's a small Toyota booth and even smaller Subaru booth, and that is it. Wow. That is it. Yeah, so there's a couple of, um, you know, there's a couple of, like, drone and seaplane companies showing stuff and uh, electric truck platforms. That So they, they they went out of the way to fill the space with non-automotive stuff. And then there's this thing called so crazy. Um, automobility, which is uh, – charging companies and lidar and so it's and even the media center you know we would come in here and and the media center would take up this entire ballroom and bloomberg and our our team from southfield here would just have a whole table editors reporters running from scrum to scrum and uh it's 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 like a closet now and uh, there was five people in the entire media room. It used so to be very, so very massive. Different. It used to cover yeah. m- multiple halls and multiple floors, yep. and you couldn't well, I think see re- everything. In well, I think days. it reflects – I mean, you guys know Kevin and, and Matt. I mean, it reflects – auto companies are technology companies today. I mean, yeah. and that, I guess that makes more they sense try to, be. to be in Vegas you know, yeah. in for the CES show because, man, that's what – the cars today – I mean, yeah. we, we saw all these microchips. Talk to us about just the general buzz there as it relates to the transition to electric vehicles. Um, you know, where are we there? You know, the interesting thing is, and I, I can't remember who wrote the story uh, that I read yesterday. It was either Elizabeth Behrman or Monica Raymond or Chris Ralvald. But one of our German reporters talking about Herbert Diess at his uh, going away speech. Did you see Volkswagen. this, Kevin? Um, yeah, this former CEO of Volkswagen, when he was leaving, um, he basically pointed out the fact that the transition to electric is easy. The transition to software is hard. <laughs> That's where everyone's getting it wrong, right? Anyone can put a battery in a car. Okay, Tesla seems to have been doing it better than anyone else. But putting all these software systems and getting them to work together and getting them to work as well as your iPhone or whatever you use, it's not easy. And a lot of them are failing or at least having real troubles. Right, Kevin? Yeah, and, and it's the same thing with autonomous, right? We've heard so much about self-driving and, you know, how right around the corner it is. And really, we've we've got the hardware figured out, right? And if that's 90% of the battle, the, the last 10% is as difficult as it was to get to that point. And I think you're seeing that in electrification, and you're also seeing it in autonomous. But, but Paul, to your point about uh, the show being technology, you know, the other thing, too, is that you're 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 having an auto show to drum up demand and get the public to see yep. your new product of which you have none in inventory yeah, right good so, point so so buy this really, car we'll deliver it to you in four years <laughs> right. i mean so that's kind of i think the feeling plus you know looking at the the main auto shows right detroit in january used to be in january you have new york right around um easter and then you would have california right around thanksgiving And it would always be kind of divided where Detroit obviously is 4GM and the Delantis domestic brand's backyard. You would have the European makes really kind of focus on New York because it was considered the premium show. And then the West Coast show would be a little bit more high tech and you'd have the Asia-based manufacturers um, with a bigger presence there. And now it just seems like I'm not sure there's any presence anywhere other than, like Paul said, at CES. (laughs) 
Now, Vegas, I got, baby, Vegas. I got, I prefer Detroit. Uh, to, honestly, no. No matter what time of year, I prefer Detroit to Las Vegas. But I have a special treat for for all of you. Um, there is one really cool thing that happened at this uh, car show, and that is Ford unveiling its brand new seventh generation Mustang, an iconic car that I have been a huge fan of ever since I got gum on the seat of my dad's '64 and a half <laughs> notchback. Um, and we've got Jim Owens with us on the line here from Detroit as well. He is the marketing manager for the Mustang Project. Jim, you know, this looks, at first glance, uh, it looks more like an evolution than a revolution. But there are some pretty major changes, both to the powertrain um, and the interior, as well as the exterior design that I really think makes this car a much more attractive um, proposition. And I already wanted the old one. So tell us about it. <laughs> Um, we're so excited to be on and talk about this. And, you know, the 64 and a half Mustang that you got the gum stuck on literally was a 65. You know, there was really no such thing as a 64 and a half, even though all the Mustang fans around the world, they were all titled 65. So don't worry about getting that gum stuck on your dad's <laughs> That's I he he would always refer to it that way. And um, <laughs> even yesterday, my wife was saying, that's silly. Why was it 64 and a half? I don't know why it was. I don't know why that year sticks with me. Maybe that's when they showed it at the uh, oh, World's yeah. Fair or they so, put it up. You know, they took apart, you know this, they took apart a Mustang for the debut. They carried it up, the Empire it. State Building, and put it back together on the twice. viewing platform. <laughs> we did it twice. We did it in 1966. And at the time, the size of the Mustang and the elevator sizes have not changed on the Empire State Building, right? They've never changed because of, you know, the historical aspect of that building. So in 66, it took four different times to go up the elevator. Hmm. When we did it with the Gen 6 Mustang and we put it out there, the bright yellow one, um, it took a few more times to put it up there and we installed it up there. So, yeah, it's been on top of the Empire State Building twice. That um, is awesome. The 64.5 piece is when Ford started changing production runs in there, customers wanted to delineate between the original and then the second one where they delineated it, and that's the 64 and a half, 65, and it's always a fun conversation over uh, it. You. Ah. Um, you had mentioned the seventh generation and how you thought of it as an evolution, and, and it has to be a, you know, for the six generations previously, it still has to be unmistakably Mustang, right? And that, we think, we hit a home run on it. And in the seventh generation, it has to reach to that new audience to bring the new seventh generation customers in and we think we hit a home run with the design and that interior which is just completely filled with you know gaming technology <laughs> that the younger audiences love and then you said you talked a little bit about the powertrains and an all-new EcoBoost you know that has better performance better power more efficient you know production of power and then for Mustang fans globally, right? Because we have cars on six of the seven continents. Um, it is a fourth generation Coyote that will be the highest horsepower Mustang GT Coyote yes. ever done. I'm so happy um, to hear no. that, you know, because I was yeah. worried that the horsepower figures were going to go down, and I know that you're not going to tell us. Well, go ahead and tell us. Look, just tell us. Well, so I'd love, I'd love to tell you just as a secret whisper in your ear. Um, but, no, the asterisks are that, you know, we're still in the testing and certification pieces. That'll come closer to the summer of 
23 when we launched the 24 model year. But as a, you know, as a person who's not only worked for Mustangs for four generations of them, also worked for Carroll Shelby for four years. Oh, that's very cool. You know, horsepower means great, something. Great <laughs> and this is, this is going to be one that pulls you from the seat of your pants, and we can't tell you how excited we are. All right, Jim, let's say I order a new Ford. When am I going to get it? It looks like we're, we're not going to have a railroad strike, so that's good news. But talk to us just about the supply chain, getting stuff from the auto industry these days. Yeah, and it's been, um, it, it, it has been, you know, just like every other industry, it's been, you know, a, a you know, struggle to identify, you know, when you can have your plant open and what parts are coming in. And sure. with Mustang, you ask about the Mustang, this will be a 24 model year, right? So it'll be the 59th year model year for this Mustang. Mm-hmm. And that will be available in June of, or I'm sorry, in the summer of 23 as a 24 model year right now you can still go in and order your 22 or soon to order your 23 model year mustang that is the existing one um and you know we've been able to um keep the plants running and keep mustang customers happy by delivering you know not only the eco boost but right now the mach one the shelby Shelby gt 500 please with the tremec Yeah, with Whatever the Tremec seven-speed dual clutch that's you know shifts gears in eighty milliseconds. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Hundred percent, I want that. And uh, are are we going to have? Do we know about the transmission options available on the new seventh gen? Yeah. So what we've announced uh, last night uh, with the reveal of not only the coupe and convertible EcoBoost and GT, we introduced for the first time in twenty-one years a new specialty performance brand called the Dark Horse. Um, first time that we've had the forward-facing oh, yeah. pony on the car, um, and yep. it is um, it is extremely um, that fitting of the dark horse name. Now that will be our specialty performance derivative. That will have the thirty-one sixty Tremec box in the manual and the drift and, brake and the drift brake manual okay, transmission. So, you know, It'll have a manual. It'll have well. The, now you got my attention. Manual. It, it'll have the, the automatic. Manual. I think the auto box is uh, pretty amazing as well. And I'm a save the manuals guy. So um, I was so impressed by the Shelby GT500's auto box that I think I would take that over the stick. No, the cool thing about this new Mustang is it's going to have an electric emergency brake, a drift brake. Nobody likes a good M&A trade more than me because, again, the first thing I do is I go to the M&A page and I see who the bankers are. And my good friend Frank Quattrone advised the seller, so I know he got maximum price from this. So Adobe's buying a software company. Adobe's down 16%. What is going on? Anurad Ragna, he covers all things technology for Bloomberg Intelligence. He's located, I have no idea where, but we have him in the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio here in New York today. Uh, Anurag, Adobe, a great company, a big market cap. Um, I mean, this is a $150 billion market cap company. The stock's down 16% on this. What's up? See, think about it. When I looked at the deal, I said, okay, $20 billion. It must have good financials. They're going to do $200 million in annual recurring revenue. This and is then Figma. The, it's a yeah, private Figma. company. It's okay. a private company. They're going to do maybe $400 million after that. So if you do a little bit of math around it, that means 50 times sales or sales. 100 times sales. Not cash flow. So I think that's what's happening here. The street is saying, why are you overpaying so much for an right, asset welcome. where the, the contribution to the top line is going to be very small and the bottom line is actually going to dilute your margins? 
it yeah, is yeah, yeah. insane to pay that much, especially now when uh, valuations have come in. What are people paying for similar assets? So again, it, see, according to uh, Adobe, this is a technology that they're buying that they, nobody else has. So that's their rationale. The outside people are buying less than 10 times sales right now for uh, software companies. But once again, their argument is this is the technology that can reshape the company. Um, we published a note yesterday where we basically say, said that Adobe's long-term growth is not going to be like it has been over the past decade because it's coming to a mature business. So they really need to figure out what they do. And if that means acquisitions, they may do the acquisition. But we don't think their valuation is going to bounce back ever again like it was in the you know before the pandemic or during the pandemic. All right. So tell us what Adobe is in one sentence. Tell us what Figma is in one sentence. And why Adobe wanted to buy Figma and spend $20 billion large? The real killer app that Adobe has is their Creative Cloud product, okay. Adobe Photoshop, all the photo editing tools that you need. Figma is a platform where people can collaborate. You have creators you can use you know, to exchange ideas. You can go there. It's a whiteboard, all web-based stuff. And those two things marry very well for the next generation creator. Adobe is... Um, for some, sometimes it's the bane of my existence because I try and access files on my computer that I can't unless I'm subscribed to Adobe. And then once I subscribe to Adobe, I found it impossible to cancel that subscription. So they just suck me dry. Um, is everybody else, are other consumers as annoyed? Do they, I struggle uh, to find another word, do they hate Adobe as much as I do? Uh you can open those documents using a web browser. So if you're just using a PDF opener to do that, that's a free thing. You probably downloaded a, uh, a more expensive version and never uh, deleted it from your computer, but we can talk about that another time. <laughs> but so in, in, in a case, if you just want to read a document, it's okay. That's free. But if you want to, you know, signature on it, you want to go out and edit it and highlight it and send it to your teammate, then you have to pay for that particular software package. And that's the second piece of their business called the Document Cloud which is all of PDF, but the real killer app is the, the Photoshop, which there is no graphic designer out there in the world that would not be using that for the word work that they do. To me, that product is as powerful as Microsoft Excel. All right. And Paul, I, I guess you probably spent decades with Microsoft Excel as your number one. Back in the day. Most clicked. Back in the day. And, and the analyst program. That. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It was before, it was before Excel, actually. Um, I can't even remember what we had before Excel. What do we use on our own? I don't know. WordPress? I, that, I don't, don't, know. don't yeah, even before know. That. Yeah. All right. I'm bringing up one of Matt Miller's favorite uh, functions here, COMP, uh, comparative returns. Adobe over the last five years, about 15% return. The S&P about 11%. So it's done pretty well. I see a lot of buy ratings out there for Adobe, six or seven kind of hold ratings, no sells. So the street still likes this name. What's the, the, what's the, the theme behind the bullish call here? So go back in FY14 or you know, 2014, 2015, the company went into a massive undertake of uh, changing their business model. Went from a license model to a subscription model. Unbelievable success since then. Very strong growth rate, 15% plus. In fact, I would say closer to 20%. Margin expansion like you have not seen 
as of today, margins are closer to 45% adjusted operating margins for this company. So massive margin expansion. And that was our entire call yesterday that, okay, it's done exceedingly well in the last uh, you know, 10 odd years or seven, eight years. But now they're coming to a point that 20% growth rate goes to closer to 13 to 15 and there is no margin expansion. So the valuation, I would say, uh, premium they got close to compared to Microsoft, I think is going to die now. And Microsoft's uh, you know, economics look a little bit better here compared to Adobe. I don't know. I, it's, it's software. I mean, it's, it's a, I mean, you've got the easiest job in the world. You just say, <laughs> I slap buy ratings on everything. Software. I mean, it's just a growing business. How has it performed, just broadly speaking, forget about the hardware stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to some other, you know, man deep on that one maybe. But the software side, is it just a secular growth story? It is a massive secular story. See, you, go, you, you. You, you, you go back and read and recent uh, you know, letter from 10 years ago and say software is going to eat the world. Software at that time, Paul, when you hired me, was about 200 billion in market size. It's close to 700 billion market now. You don't have to do much. Just ride the wave. See? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, now, and now what the kids are talking about is the cloud. That's the new thing. And I play the cloud. No, Web 3.0, which by the oh, way, I'm I still not, have no idea what that no. is. Do you have any call on Web 3.0? It's, it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, thought. let's let get started. Somebody's going to send me a lot of hate mail on uh, Okay, it. so best call right now in, or the best growth story in tech right now? I would say given the current macro environment, I would put, put Microsoft on that list because it's a safety stock as well as it does everything right. Even in a bad, bad, bad economic environment, they'll still grow 10%. And is Microsoft the story, a cloud story? Yeah, primarily? it is all. It's a purely a cloud story. So it it's is. not a Windows story at all anymore. No, but Windows does provide a lot of good cash flow. Right. Excel, and, and again, Office provides a very good cash flow. It has two cash cows that fund anything they want to fund, you know, to be honest. Video games, Activision, oh, like I'm they can Xbox do guy. anything out there. But what happens is Microsoft is now the de facto thing you need no matter where you are, what enterprise you are. And it is a growth story for me because you know what? They will double their revenue in the next five years. Can you imagine that? A th company with 300 billion in revenue will double their revenue in the next five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just an awesome, awesome Massive. story. Anurag Rana, Senior Software and IT Services Analyst, Bloomberg Intelligence, actually in the office he's supposed to be in, which is the New York City World Headquarters of Bloomberg and Bloomberg Intelligence. What do you say, a Bloomberg Intelligence Analyst, what's the percentage of them that are in the office? I don't know. I'm going to say maybe half. You know, I don't know. Who knows? Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.